0: North South Connection podcast listeners, it's time to traverse the verse where the only thing you know to expect is indeed entertainment in the multiverse of fabulousness. My name is Jonathan Ocean, or Juan Lake, which sounds a lot like Swan Lake, or perhaps Johnny C. And thanks for coming into the multiverse of fabulousness. So, if it is your first time here, let's explain what it is that we do. Well, we talk about things that we find Out in the multiverse, we traverse from planet to planet and see if we can discover some pop culture variants. And I think I've got a doozy for everybody out there today, so uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. It's 1993, and you own a wrestling company. And you say to yourself, you know... I think we should probably have some more pay-per-views. That's my Eric Bischoff impression. And you know, he doesn't really own WCW, but I'm sticking with the gag. I think we should have a pay-per-view. Maybe, I don't know, like in November? Like right before Survivor Series. Nobody cares about Thanksgiving. It's all the week before Thanksgiving. So Eric Bischoff wants to expand the pay-per-view calendar. And he does with Battle Bowl 93. A Dusty Rhodes concept, the Lethal Lottery featuring Battle Bowl. It's happened twice before in WCW history. However, both times it took place at Starcade, the great uncle of them all, if you will. So, if you're not familiar with the Lethal Lottery and Battle Bowl, allow me to explain. The Lethal Lottery is just that. Uh, WCW put the names of their wrestlers, not superstars, into a hopper, and they pulled out four names, forming two different tag teams. These tag teams would then wrestle against one another, and the winners would move on to a two-ring, 32-man battle royal for supremacy. And then, and the next year, 1992... Uh, it just became 8-Man Battle for Supremacy in one ring, uh, because the event did shrink a little bit in terms of the size and scope, and the amount of pay-per-view time that they wanted to dedicate it to, but in 93, like I kind of casually mentioned, Bischoff wants to expand, and so Battle Bull becomes its own pay-per-view. Now look, it's a notoriously awful pay-per-view, it's notorious because the match quality is really, really bad, and it honestly means nothing in the narrative of WCW 1993, uh, pivoting into 94 even. Because don't forget, Starcade would take place after Christmas. But still, November 20th is a date of this show, and then Starcade, I think, is the 27th. It's kind of irrelevant, but it takes place, you know, before the new year. So, you know, we, we can all watch Battle Bowl 93 anytime we want. We can watch Mean Gene Okerlund and Fifi try to hide their unbridled sexual chemistry for one another as they pick the names out of the hopper for the lethal lottery, we can gasp at the shit that comes out of Jean's mouth. Uh, we can gasp at the notoriously ludicrous, embarrassing Cade 93 sketch that I'm not going to talk about because, spoiler alert, over in the Aqua Cave, I'm going to do an entire podcast just about that sketch. So stay tuned to that feed and subscribe to it. Uh, For further details. But it's the multiverse of fabulousness. So we are going to do a throwback, throwing all the way back to our first episode where we found an Earth where WrestleMania 6 was actually hosted by WCW. And we found out that all the matches with WWF competitors were swapped out for WCW competitors. And today we're going to travel to Earth Bowl for a bowl game that doesn't even feature JR. We're going to WWF Battle Bowl 93. All right, there's your concept. Well, what are the rules for this bad boy? In the Multiverse of Fabulousness show, we always have rules for when we do stuff like this. Rebooking a pay per view, reimagining characters as superheroes or what have you. It's just part of the fun of it. Because if you don't have rules, I could just sit here and be like, all right, so Battle Bowl 93. Uh, we've got. Hulk Hogan taking on Steve Austin in the main event. I mean, that doesn't doesn't make any sense. And it's not fun because you don't challenge yourself. So, here are the rules for WWF Battle Bowl 93, which would have taken place on November 20th, 1993. So, you kind of have to suspend disbelief a little bit here and just think, all right, WWF is doing the same thing in November of 93 based on everything that's happened up until that point. In their world. Alright. Now I pulled a roster of superstars from November 20th, 1993. And my first rule are those are the superstars I'm allowed to choose from to form my matches. Now rule number two. I must make every effort to match up WCW wrestlers with WWF superstars of equal card position. For example, if in one of the matches Alex Wright takes on somebody, it doesn't matter... I can't swap out Alex Wright for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Imagine, you know, if they were in the same era. Like, that's just a star power type comparison. Don't tweet me about how they don't exist at the same time frame. I know Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't exist in 93 because guess what? He's on the WCW show, which means he's getting swapped out. Um, Now, I can, as my final rule, push WWF 93 in a different direction. For example, we all know the main event at WrestleMania 10. Now, as I'm booking my version of WWF Battle Bowl 93, I'm really not required to book a show that leads to that scenario. Because uh, after all, you know, the, the more fun here is matching up WCW guys with WWF counterparts and finding fun matches that would have emerged from these types of stories. And if you think that sounds like fun, I'm not wasting any more time. We are transporting to Earth Battle Bowl Right now. Oh, God, we're there. All right. So WCW Battle Bowl took place in Pensacola, Florida. All right. And the commentary team was Tony Schiavone and Jesse the Body Ventura. Hey, Schiavone, big fan Vader's hitting somebody on the outside. You think he's going to get disqualified? You know he's not, you squirrely piece of shit. I'm on to you, Schiavone. Yeah, I got Lois on speed dial because I go down on that shit. Oh, yeah, she likes what I do with my tongue, Shivani. I ain't got no slack jaw. I could do this more. No, I'm going to stop. Um. So, yeah, Tony and Jesse are on the call for WCW. And as I mentioned, sort of imagine where the Nitro announcers would be positioned or where the Raw announcers would be positioned during the initial brand split. They had Mean Gene and Fifi, which was Ric Flair's maid. Now, his ex-wife slash girlfriend partner until death, I guess. Um and and they, you know, like I said, before each Lethal Lottery match cuz that's sort of the gimmick. Nobody knows what's going to happen on this pay-per-view. It's an entire pay-per-view that it, pay, excuse me, pay-per-view that is sold under the concept of what if. And that's why I think it's so fun to do in the Multiverse of Fabulousness. Plus, I'm kind of a low-key Starcade 92 fan. But WCW's playing their own game of What If. We're going to do it here in the multiverse. Now, why am I mentioning all this? Well, because I went ahead and recast all this shit for the WWF version. So Pensacola, Florida is not exactly like, to me anyway, it doesn't jump out as like a WCW stronghold. Now, it's the South. There's power there to be found. At the same time, though, it's not like they're in the Omni or... Uh, Greensboro College, you know, it's it's not... It doesn't have that jump-out-at-me name value, and that's fine. What I've done is i put the WWF in the Hartford Civic Center, which I realize was the site of a WrestleMania, but I'm thinking more in comparison to, like, Survivor Series 90-type deal. It's comfortable. You know, it is Thanksgiving time. Uh, their corporate employees don't travel too far, because, I mean, and that might be one step too far in terms of realism, but, you know... It, you gotta play. The, you gotta play the game, right? Now, one thing that I love about this is my commentary selection for WWF. And you know what? I was so happy when I saw the roster. I was like, "Wait a minute! Am I wrong? Are they wrong?" And and sure enough, it wasn't until the second week of December that Bobby the Brain Heenan got kicked out of Raw by Monsoon. And you know what? It's November twentieth. He's still here for the very last time. Will you stop? Gorilla and Bobby are here for Benable. And I like that. That makes me smile. Now, the WWF Lethal Lottery Selection, we're not gonna do some sort of mean gene Fifi scenario, because I'm honestly surprised that they did that in '93. I guess the fact that it's Gene maybe makes them think it's not that ill intended. But you know, the WWF was always so official about shit like this. So there's only one man that can be here to make sure that the names pulled out of the World Wrestling Federation Lethal Lottery contraption are indeed names that are contractually obligated to compete in the Lethal Lottery. And that's Jack on the Take Tutty with Jim Ross working as his translator. I'll put upon Jim Ross, who has to spend the entire evening with Jack Tutty. Hey, I got an idea. Get the fat guy from Oklahoma. Well, he'll quit after he spends the entire night with Tunney. <laughs> top it all off, they make him wear the cans for WrestleMania 11 the whole time. <laughs> oh, Jack, I can't really hear you. I, I got these cans on. You know, I, who's, who's the name of the Lethal Lottery? The name's Jim Ross. The names are twofold. All right, enough of that setup. All right, so that's just something to keep in the back of your mind as we announce these pairs. So the WCW pay-per-view, like I said, completely unannounced. It's eight matches, eight tag team matches. I mean, it kind of sounds like a clash of the champions at best. And like I said, the winning tag team gets to go on to the actual Battle Bowl Battle Royal. The tag team matches are the Lethal Lottery. You know, it it can't be WCW if it doesn't have two names, Ah, uh, folks, right now it's the first, uh, second, it's the seventeenth period of war games, according to Gary Michael Capetta. But the match beyond has yet to begin. You know the, I don't know, WWF gets a bad rep for being too like homogenized. Sometimes WCW doesn't get a bad rep for being just a little too much, like just a little too everything. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let you know what happened on our Earth, Earth Lame. I guess Earth Zero. It really depends whose philosophy you follow. If you go by the Marvel philosophy, the DC philosophy, let's just call it Earth Prime. I think that's easy enough for everybody to get. And then I will tell you the WWF variant, and I will let you know who won both. And, you know, of course, we'll go through this bad boy and determine if our WWF version is superior to the WCW version. Spoiler alert, it is. So up first in the Lethal Lottery, Vader... And Cactus Jack, who were mortal enemies at the time, and that's going to be part of the key configuration for the WWF variant, were able to come together and unify for a few moments under the leadership of Harley Race so both these men could tear each other apart later in Battle Bowl. Cactus, if you don't work together with Vader, uh, you're, there's nowhere on God's green earth you can go. And then once we get to the Battle Bowl, it's all bets are off. They took on Charlie Norris, and that's gotta be Kane! No, no, I didn't stutter. It's, it's Kane. Let me explain. Holy shit, that rhymed. <laughs> so, Charlie Norris is a WCW Native American character, alright? Now, culture is nothing for me to comment on, but I feel like this guy was really hamming it up, alright? That's just my opinion. It's professional wrestling, after all. And Kane, who remembers... What Harlem Heat were called when they were brought in. Uh, excuse me, Harlem Heat. I've got a few chores for you to take care of. All right. And we get paid up. After- no, you, you don't get paid Harlem Heat. This is 1993 WCW. Let me fan myself. Carl Rob Parker brings in Harlem Heat and their names are Cole and Kane. Kane is Stephen Ray. Um, one guess who wins here, folks, and moves on to Battle Bowl. Of course, it's Vader and Cactus Jack. Now, here's the, here's the more important part. So on the WWF side, we've got to find some folks that match up with these individuals. And being able to lean into a storyline that works with November 93 is the icing on the cake. So, uh, Jim Ross, I've pulled names for the Lethal Lottery. I have the World Wrestling Federation Champion Yokozuna and his partner... American-made Lex Luger. Take it. Okay, so I won't do the Jack Tunney thing every time, only when it's fun. So Vader is the champion, and Cactus Jack is his nemesis at the time. They'd done the Lost in Cleveland stuff. They did the spin the wheel, uh, sign the contract. I didn't want to say make the deal because I feel stupid saying it. Um So, that's sort of their storyline here. Yoko and Lex, of course, would lead teams in the Survivor Series against one another. So, I I think there's brand synergy here, to use an Aqua Cave catchphrase of mine. So, who are they going to take on? So, Charlie Norris, like I mentioned, really shit gimmick. And definitely, you know, I don't want us to call him an opening match guy, because isn't the opening match supposed to be good? Definitely a, I was going to call him a Saturday night guy, but they were all fucking Saturday night guys. Um... A second match guy, at best, at the Clash of the Champions, you know? So, I I found my WWF variant, and he is frightened to once again face the mammoth Yokozuna, alright? It is Virgil, famously responsible for warning Brett at the Survivor Series 92 about the impending threat of Yokozuna. And then, for his tag team partner, we need a heel tag team guy, alright? And there's so many tag teams involved in this, uh original WCW concept that we've tried to weave that in through the night. So we've got a Harlem Heat one. We're going to bring in Jacques, or Jacques, I pronounced the S, and I even took three years of French. Air George, I apologize. Jacques, Jacques Rougeau from Peckers, as uh, Jack Tunney would say. And I think that works here. Now, you can go back and forth about Charlie Norris and his athletic ability versus Virgil. I, I don't know, but I realize the card positioning works. And of course, Harlem Heat are not WCW Tag Team Championship material at this point. You're just a B-plus player, Stevie, and I'm the game. And, and I think that having a heel tag team guy here works, especially when you consider the fact that we need to make sure that if we do include tag team members, they make sense because there's a lot of tag teams split up, maybe some that go head-to-head, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, obviously... I think to the surprise of no one, if for no other reason of, uh, you can't book the other guys, it makes sense to carry this story into WWF Battle Bowl. Let's go with Yoko and Lex. Next up on the WCW front, it's Brian Knobs and Johnny B. Bird taking on a star of TNA Never Dies, which is back here on the North South Connection Podcast Network. Thank The Maker, my absolute favorite show, because it's not so much them trying to pop one another which I do greatly appreciate, it's that when they pop one another, JT's like, all right, all right, enough of this. Let's get back to the wrestling. But it, 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 one of the, it's the material that they can use to pop one another because TNA, the early weekly pay-per-view era, is a godsend of what the fuck is going to happen next, who's going to show up next, and I believe it's sharing Wednesdays with the Jenny position. Not a bad racket. Racket. All right, wait, racket. I didn't say... The first thing, As I was going to say, not a bad, re- you know what? I don't have anything else. Let's move on. So it's Eric Watts, Starf T N A, and Pretty Paul Roma, and Knobs uh, and Johnny B Bad pick up the victory. So what do I need here? Well, I need some tag team guys. So Brian Knobs is half of a tag team. Well, I'm bringing in Billy Gunn to be Brian Knobs. Johnny B Bad. Sort of a icy U.S. title level guy. I mean, maybe he's not there yet, but that's okay because the guy that I'm choosing as his variant isn't there yet too, but will be very shortly. It's the bad guy. Hey yo, McMang, you better put me in battle bowl. Billy Gunn and Razor take taking on. Now, Eric Watts and Paul Roma. These aren't exact variants, but I like it anyway, especially when you consider the storyline synergy. Uh, I'm swapping out Eric Watts for the 1-2-3 kid, because Eric Watts, at this particular time, is basically the 1-2-3 kid in a lot of ways. He's pushed really hard, and then they just back off, and you're lucky to get a pick up a win on superstars or pro. And pretty Paul Roma, we need an arrogant heel. Who better than J.E. Ha (laughs) ha! Double F. I'm not doing the rest because I'd shoot myself. I cannot do a podcast on this network without talking about Jeff Jarrett. The streak? continues. Here he is in all his glory. Now, Billy and Razor, as they're the stand-in for knobs and Johnny B. Bad, are going to pick up the victory. So, as it stands, Battle Bowl 93 features Yoko, Lex, Billy Gunn, and Razor. And I like that a whole hell of a lot. Up next, on the WCW side, (laughs) he just fell in his ass. It's the Shock Master. Oh, God. Uh, in his construction worker variant, hey, I didn't book this shit, working with Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. Now, here's something that's really crazy, but I also really kind of love it. They take on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Lord Steven Regal, and they win! That being uh, Paul Orndorff and the Shockmaster. Now, that's because in storyline purposes... Dragon and Regal are feuding, I believe, for the television championship. So it's sort of heels, excuse me, uh, babyface heel that don't get along, forced to tag team with one another. Maybe this is Vince Russo's favorite show, because that's a staple of the Attitude Era. Now, over on the WWF side, of course, we've got Variance. Now, for the Shockmaster, I picked the King himself. I love it when you call me King of Maple. Throw your hands up day you if you's a royal aya. Of course, he's not yet the King. But it is Mabel, who I've grown to respect a little bit more, watching some 1995 stuff from my shows in the Aqua Cave. And Paul Lorndorf is indeed Mr. Wonderful. He's somewhat flawless. And you know, if you're flawless, you could probably make a lot of money as a model. Oh, yes, so let me spray my arrogance. Tito Santana, he's a bum. Is the model Rick Martel, who's still around in 1993 at this point. Thank goodness. Now, here's where the fun really comes into it. Mabel and Model have to win this thing. But I like kind of like what WCW did here. Even though the tag team partners that don't get along trope is what it is, they were able to use it to propel a storyline forward. Now, I'm taking a big risk here on my team, my variants, if you will. But... I'm going to change history in the WWF just a little bit earlier. We're putting on our first ever Battle Bowl pay-per-view. It needs to mean something. But wouldn't you know, right out of the hopper, Jim Ross, you would not believe the contracts I have pulled belong to Bret Hitman Hart and his brother, the Rocket King, Owen Hart. Although he's not yet a king. <laughs> a match of not yet kings, ladies and gentlemen. But it's the Hart brothers, and here's what we're going to do in this match. Because how could Mabel and Model? Oh, the Eminem. You know, how could they possibly pull this off? We've got a Mabel, who's a rookie and, you know, big and slow-ish. We've got the model, who's definitely not getting a push. Well, they're just here to help propel the storyline of the Hart brothers not getting along. Uh, My brother Owen cost me the battle bowl. It's not because of my hatred for Bret Hart that he's getting the boot here, but I do think it's a good opportunity to allow this fictional pay-per-view to mean something by having that storyline move forward. And so I'm locking in, and as we say, Mabel and the model are heading to the battle bowl. Uh, It's just a fucking battle of alliterations here, all right? Up next, a fucking weird one, if I say so myself. So we've got King Kong, who ain't got shit on me, taking on, or excuse me, teaming with the natural and natural beehee, he defeating Awesome Kong, the baddest bitch, and the Equalizer, soon soon to be known as Evad Solovit. I want to be a hard core maniac, standing uh here's a little bit of trivia for everybody out there i didn't know that song existed until like seven or eight weeks ago i fucking love it it's huge for me so the kongs they're the ones that stand out like a sore thumb king kong and awesome kong were just a, were a tag team of fucking big dudes i, I I couldn't find pictures. I've seen this pay-per-view before. I couldn't remember what they look like. I don't know if they look like the squat team from Royal Rumble 96. I don't know if it is the squat team. It is what it is. They're big dudes that wear masks. I don't know what more you want from me. So what I've got to do here is I've got to take a tag team and make them fight one another. That's the big story in this matchup. And I've got to get Dustin Rhodes to Battle Bowl because he's, you know, he's, he's heavily pushed at this time. And uh, you know Equalizer is kind of a throwaway. It's just someone that can lose and lose safely uh, without having anything affected because they don't really matter to the card. And the Kongs are, are kind of nobodies as well. So what I've done is over in the WWF side, according to the roster and indeed a little bit of research at the Royal Rumble, excuse me, at Survivor Series '93, the first parried, R- Ricky Morton, perennial babyface in peril, because yep. The fucking Rock and Roll Express sure did wrestle at the Survivor Series. Teaming with... And I don't know. In some circles, I'm sure this is some sort of a dream team. I don't know if they're going to take the gold in Barcelona. But it's Ricky Morton and Mr. Perfect. I'm perfect. And his adult contemporary remix from WrestleMania the Album. Taking on Robert Gibson. And my stand-in for the Equalizer, Earthquake. Still on the roster at this point. I got love for Tenta. You know, honestly... Obviously, the, the big thing here that's going to draw eyeballs to this is the Rock and Roll Express exploding, I guess technically, even though it wouldn't really work in the WWF. I'm kind of digging this sneaky Mr. Perfect Earthquake match going on. I don't think they've ever fought. And I'm not saying I'm like some sort of genius, because they just deface heel alignment, tag team singles, and I don't know that they could be good. But I do think a game John Tenta in a Mr. Perfect could be a lot of fun. Uh, but of course, history dictates... That uh, Dustin Rhodes got his, has to get in the Battle Bowl. And so does Mr. Perfect. So picking up the win, Ricky Morton and Mr. Perfect. Up next, the franchise, if you will, of WCW, the man in black. Sting, teaming up with Jerry Sags from the Nasty Boys, defeating Ron Simmons. Don't step to Ron. I hear that's a bad idea. And Keith Cole. Cole was a tag team guy, I think. Yes, he was. He was a a part of a twin tag team. The Cole Twins. Yay. Now, this is actually a unique opportunity here that unfortunately, my roster really wouldn't allow me to do anything really crazy. And I don't don't say that to shit on my own show or concept. But hear me out here. Sting's obviously the franchise of WCW. He's the stalwart. And Jerry Sags is a tag team guy. So what I've done is I've teamed up the Undertaker with, of course, Bark Gun. Cause here's the kicker: if you'll recall, in our second match, Brian Knobs became Billy Gun, so Jerry Sags becomes Bark Gun. Bart's partner as a pretty gosh darn fair comparison for Sting if you don't mind me saying. I think it's fairly obvious. It's going to be the Undertaker, the man from the dark side. Oh, yeah, Undertaker, man from the dark side. I think that's what they said in the In Your House video game. Anything can happen in the WWF. God, that game. Owen Hart shooting the cards is cool, though. But, yeah, the Undertaker is the obvious call here for Sting. Number one, in 93, he's one of the top baby faces. And number two, much like Sting, he is sort of the franchise of WWF. And they are going to defeat this makeshift lethal lottery combination of Native American Tatanka standing in for Ron Simmons. Now, I'm not comparing the two. Ron is much more of a badass. But at this point in time, their card you know, situation and settings seem to make sense and line up. Now, Keith Cole, one half of a very forgettable tag team, has to be uh, lined up with a, another forgettable tag team. Now, I wouldn't call these guys forgettable, but I certainly forgot they were still around. I had to pick me one of the Bushwhackers, and I thought to myself, all right, Luke got tossed out of the Royal Rumble like a bitch, so I'm gonna pick Butch. It is what it is. Undertaker and Bark Gun, move on to the Battle Bowl Battle Royal. Now, Pretty good stable here looking up here in the in the Battle Bowl so far. Yoko and Lex, Billy and Razor, Mabel and Model, Morton and Perfect, Taker and Gun. So, the smoking guns explode here at Battle Bowl. Now when you when you do a show like this, okay, like part of the fun is trying to be as creative as possible, for me anyway. But another big thing or big opportunity that I try to grab onto is the opportunity to do something that I would want to see. And the next contest is one that I'm really proud of. I mean, if, in, in you know, in proper context. So in Battle Bowl, soon to be number one contender Ric Flair as a babyface teams with stunning Steve Austin. Wow, there is a tag team. Now Austin is a TV US you know sort of line type of guy at this point in time. You know we're done with the Hollywood blondes. We're doing singles until, of course, he gets murdered by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But that's another story. Actually, it's kind of a good thing that story got told because then we got Stone Cold. They're taking on two cold Scorpio and uh, Mr. USA National Anthem himself, Max Payne, on the guitar. Now, it doesn't really jump out as, okay, it's really unfortunate if Flair and Austin got paired against these two. Now, I'm not trying to be mean to these guys. I mean, two Cold Scorpio is obviously capable of entertaining matches, but I I don't know that he's necessarily the type of guy I would put against Flair and Austin. Now, if they were all on equal footing in terms of their popularity, brand recognition, uh, hype, you know, in in terms of stars, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say two gold Scorpio is not a star without saying two Cold Scorpio is not a star. So, there, I'll just fucking say it. Um, So, you've got Flair and Austin on the other side. It's like fucking main event Dave Meltzer wet dream. And that's a good thing. So, I really wanted to take this opportunity to try and put together a configuration that's worthy of similar praise on the WWF side. And one of the things that's, you know, WCW, of course, each one of these matches, I think, has like a 10 or a 15 minute time limit, which is fine maybe don't always say that that way if you want to have a match go long it can go long and one of these WWF matches obviously you've got to you've got to space out your pay-per-view for time but one of them has to be short maybe and to the point probably our last Lethal Lottery match and so with that being said all of the time for that match is going to be given to this one and it's going to it's going to go, not the distance, it's not going to be a time limit, but it's just going to get the most attention for the evening. So what I've done, now let me give you the other team first. Two Cold Scorpio is being replaced with Marty Jannetty, former Intercontinental Champion, former Rocker, and, you know, I'm not comparing them move for move, but I think there's brand synergy there. Max Payne, big nasty guitar playing Max Payne. He's getting switched out for a man who they're soon to name an entire concept after. The Diesel Push, the Big Daddy Cool himself, Diesel, getting some mainstream attention just a little bit earlier than he would, you know, in the real world. So that's the team that picks up the L, the big loss. Obviously, the main event of this conversation is our Flair Austin stand-in. For Ric Flair, we're replacing him with the macho man, Randy Savage. Say what you want. Uh, To me, that's that's equal value, and I'm standing by that. Stone Cold Steve Austin, up-and-comer, mid-card leader. Replaced. Not replaced. I don't like that word. The Heartbreak Kid, Sean... Michaels. So folks, if you're doing the math at home, the macho man and Heartbreak Kid teaming up at a time when seeing something like that in retrospect would blow your mind. But at the time, it could really stand out as something that gives Sean a rub, a big rub. Maybe they don't get along and come to blows in the match, but hey, they they win this thing. That means they get to go to Battle Bowl. And think about that. Every pair that ends up in Battle Bowl has a little story to tell on their own because you were my partner. You know, in Battle Bowl, the model Rick Martel is like, oh, yes, Mabel, come help me eliminate Mr. Perfect. And Mabel's like, okay. And he sneaks up like he's fucking Bugs Bunny and just tosses the model. And models like, you are my partner, Mabel. Oh, you are looser. You are looser, Mabel. You know, something like that. I mean, it just gives everybody a built-in story. So... You're, you're creating synergy between these two. And, oh, yeah, let's go back and look at their opponents. Now, I will admit, and this has nothing to do with my, my, my preferring Sean over Brett, but having Marty Jannetty in there tells a great story. And then Sean and Diesel get tagged, and, well, they don't want to hit each other. So Savage has to go with Diesel the entire time. And you give Diesel the rub by having him go with Savage. It, it it works. It's a way to push Diesel to tell a fun story in the match with Sean and Diesel not wanting to touch. And, of course, Sean and Marty are going to kill each other until you turn the lights off and send them home because they are mortal enemies. I don't know. I just, when I saw this initial pairing, I, well, I don't want to say immediately, I looked and I was like, okay, so this is, you know, this Flair-Austin team is the one. That's where you really have your opportunity. That in the Vader Jack, because it's natural stories. I was like, this is where you get to really flex if you can or put something together that you think would be special. And then, you know, the, it was just a happy accident that you kind of have a, a high flyer with a bruiser when you talk about Scorpio and pain. And I just kind of worked backwards from that. I, 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 You know, this was the first match I locked in. And uh, that's probably why it's getting the most time for me talking about it here. So moving on to Battle Bowl. Macho Man Randy Savage, Bone Saul McGraw, and the Heartbreak Kid. Savage, now that we're going to Battle Bowl, I'm going to kick your teeth right down your throat. Alright, so, they all can't be winners, they all can't be the main event, but there's a little bit of... Again, fun storytelling, I suppose, on the WCW side that gives us the opera. There's an interesting concept on the WCW side, which, of course, the WWF can take and make better because that's what they do. Ravishing Rick Rude teams up with Shanghai Pierce. <laughs> lovable Phineas Godwin from Arkansas. And they defeat a longtime WCW Rookie of the Year, Marcus Bagwell. And Tex Slashinger. Big Hog Farmer, Hank. Of course it's the Godwins. Tex Slashinger and Shanghai Pierce. So again I don't know. Something tells me, perhaps these uh, lethal lottery picks weren't exactly on the money. Ah, uh, uh, President Jack Tony, it looks like we've had a lot of a lot of contests where tacky partners end up finding each other. Does your office, have an official comment. My office does not have an official comment, Jim Ross. By the way, You look like a jackass with those things on your ears. I'm sorry, Jack, I didn't catch that. Anywho, so we've got to find a way to have tag team partners, yet again, do battle with one another. And I'm not throwing shade at uh, Tex and Slash, although I am. They're, They're not exactly setting the world on fire here when they come to blows. At least, you know, it is what it is. You can only get so much out of these guys. So Ravishing Rick Rude who at this point in time was soon to be international heavyweight champion, once that became a thing. I'm not calling this an apples-to-apples comparison, but I've always heard and been told that Ludvig Borga, a.k.a. the the coach of the Iceland Junior Goodwill Games hockey team. All right, I'm never going to have an opportunity for this. I mean, they really don't. But I get some serious Ludwig Borga vibes from Wolf the Dentist Stanton, to the point... Where I'd watch D2, the Mighty Ducks, would be like, ah, here comes Ludwig Borga now. And, you know, it's him. And who would have thought? Anybody else surprised that Wolf the Dentist Stanson, the actor, showed up in Cobra Kai Season 5? That's all I'll say. Um, but yeah, it blew me away. Hey, and that rhymed. I love it when a plan comes together. But Ludwig Borga standing in for Rick Rude. That one, I will allow you to punch me on, but I've got to go with what I've got at my disposal. Um, Shanghai Pierce... Well, let me let's talk about Marcus first. Let's save the tagy for the end. So, on the other side, Marcus Bagwell is kind of a clown. So let's replace him with the shitty fucking face version of Doink. Now, Ludwig Borges' partner is uh, supposed to be Shanghai Pierce. We're replacing him with Big Papa Penis himself, Scott Steiner, and them finer doing a 69 nine or a Scott Steiner in the Shoney's bathroom. And, of course, that makes Tex Slashinger Rick Steiner. You like me, bite me. You want some? Come get some. You know, I used to host that WCW show. I haven't been right since. But, yeah, the Steiner brothers fucking explode. And you know what? Ludwig Borga is one of those guys that they're not going to expose and let him get tossed around by Rick Steiner. So Ludwig, you know, maybe beats on Doink the Clown. And Scott Steiner tags him like, Ludwig Borga, you're beating up Doink, and I'm a good guy. Stop. That kind of sounds like Rick. And then Doink begs for his life and tags Rick. And as, you know, fucking piece of sh- legendary piece of shit cowboy Bill Watts would say, Let's hook him up! And the Steiner brothers come to blows. And I think it would be entertaining. Especially in those bright WWF singlets. And at the end of the day, Ludwig and Scott Steiner, of course, have to move on. But I like to think that Ludwig leaves Doink. Probably carried away on a stretcher because he's a bitch. And then the Scott Steiner's hug and leave to that ridiculous stung, dung, 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 uh, theme song. And, uh, you know, go on to Greener Pastures in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling or wherever the fuck they disappeared to. Man, I don't... I'm getting really sad here because we're coming to our very final Lethal Lottery pairing. Uh, the Lethal Lottery has won... Final contractual obligation to be fulfilled. Now, I have checked with these envelopes. Earlier, there was a sticky residue that I was concerned with, but the lab has confirmed the envelopes have been devenomized. Over on the WCW side, we've... Well, we've got Hawk. uh, Legendary man battling with his demons. Of course, Hawk here being pushed as a single guy, as Animal was nowhere to be found. Teaming up with Rip... Rogers. now look, I don't know a goddamn thing about Rip Rogers, but I have seen WCW Battle Bowl 93. And Rip Rogers, they like hit him on the entrance ramp at the beginning of the match, and he just lays there like a bitch. Like, I don't know, like this guy is just jobber. Job, job, jobber. It's like, I think he's the last person, pe- I don't know what they do, but he's a jobber, period. They're going up against uh, the other half of Harlem Heat, Cole, which would be Booker T., And the man from Leeds, England himself, a man who some have called a little bizarre, a man who's likely to win, whether he wants to or not, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. Of course, he doesn't win here, so that kid is full of shit. And what's with that kid? That kid's writing a check that his ass can't cash with those comments about the British Bulldog at the SummerSlam. So what do I need here? I need a Hawk. Well, it's been said that Demolition was fake Legion of Doom. And Hawk, tag team guy who's now a single, let's put him with Purple Crush. He tastes a little grape to me. But, of course, getting Crush into Battle Bowl is a great way to have him uh, so... so Some early seeds, a lot of fucking s's of the legendary Savage Crush Summit. His tag team partner, of course, has to be a Rip Rogers variant, some sort of job guy. You know, I I looked the WWF roster up and down, and you know, the Brooklyn Brawler was on there, but Rip Rogers was kind of a babyface loser, or at least treated like such. So I'm bringing in uh, someone who is full of energy. The bird made himself. Yeah, I'm a bird. Everybody get up. Everybody get down because the bird made the town. I could fucking sing that song for hours. Uh, legendary WrestleMania 6 opener, Coco Beware. Get in the Battle Bowl. Will he be able to withstand the Boston Crab from the model? Time will tell. Now, what I need on the other side is a stand in for the British Bulldog, who basically, at this point, is a big, muscly guy that goes nowhere. Adam Bomb, you got anything going on? No? All right, great. You're in. Of course, this means the Chronic or uh, what the fuck did Aaron call them? God damn it. Uh, bomb Crush, or yes, Bomb Crush the Soda. Uh, that's a that's a no-holds-barred joke. Uh, but it is Chronic Explodes because he got Crush and a Bomb on opposing teams. Now, no spoiler here. Earlier... The other half of Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray or Kane, that's got to be, was replaced with Jacques Rougeau. So over here, Cole or Booker T is replaced with PCO himself, that pirate, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, or just Pierre of the Quebecers. And, uh, you know, like I said, Crush and the Birdman himself, Coco Beware, are going to win this thing. So that means that the Battle Bull Battle Royal is set. Let's take it from the top. Who's in this bad boy? Now, I'm not saying battle royals are good. I'm just saying, this is certainly better than the WCW version. It is Yokozuna and Lex Luger. Billy Gunn and Razor Ramon. Mabel and Model, Eminem. Ricky Morton and Mr. Perfect. The Undertaker, man from the dark side. And Bark Gun, The Macho Man, Randy Savage and the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Coach of Iceland, Ludwig Borga, Shoney's entrepreneur, Scott Steiner, Crush, WWF's own Hawaiian Punch, and the Birdman himself, Coco Be Aware. It's not a bad list. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that this is 1993's roster and we've tried to maximize the potential of the combatants involved. Now, a lot of tag teams, which kind of gels with what Battle Bowl 93 did over on Earth Prime, as opposed to Earth Bowl here, but I like this. And, you know, we obviously have to declare a winner. If you are familiar with Battle Bowl 93, you already know this, and I apologize for the double up, but Vader wins Battle Bowl, last defeating his longtime arch nemesis, and still reigning defending King of Cable since he won it in December 92. Sting. You guys remember the King of Cable tournament? Seriously, like I I have this weird fixation with WCW 92, all right, which you can hear all about, honestly. God, I hate to shill stuff, but over in the Aqua Cave, I just did a a podcast on Clash of the Champions 19 that released over Labor Day weekend where I really deep dove into why I might be fixated on 1992 WCW because obviously I'm more of a created like, I, I'm more interested in, like, the creative aspects of professional wrestling, the storytelling, the larger-than-life characters. I'm not trying to sound like Vince McMahon's fucking Twitter feed, but that's sort of what gets me, and so I'm very, it's very curious to me that this Bill Watts athletic, let's hook him up era does anything for me. Anyway, Vader defeats Sting to, to claim Battle Bowl victory and what would be the final Battle Bowl of all time. Surprised I didn't bring it back on, like, a Russo show or something like that. So, Let's get into our world and see what happens. Obviously, we discussed earlier in the show about some funny things that could happen during Battle Bowl, like Mabel eliminating his former tag team partner, The Model, and what have you. Macho Man and HBK getting to explode. Um, I, I like to envision Shawn Michaels being the pinball of this matchup. And honestly, while I don't have him scheduled to be the last guy in the ring or even the winner, I'm wondering if he should be the last person eliminated before the last two go at it. Probably going to be a scenario where guys like Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga eliminate one another. Uh, maybe even some sort of shenanigans where Ludwig eliminates Lex, and then Lex pulls out Ludwig from the bottom ropes, and Ludwig and, and they fight to the back. Because Ludwig, I think, still undefeated at this point. And even though it's just getting tossed over the top rope, you probably don't want to have a situation where he's eliminated proper. Guys like Coco Beware, um, you know, well, actually, maybe Ricky Morton, too. I mean, they probably wouldn't be long for this world. Sacrifices for guys like Yokozuna or The Undertaker, who's in here as well. You know, and you're going to have to have scenarios where, you know, You get to see people like Ramon and Perfect go one-on-one with each other. Uh, Maybe Crush and Savage, you know, like I said, getting some early Savage Crush Summit stuff in there. But you also get fun opportunities, like seeing Scott Steiner go against, like, Yokozuna. I don't know. That could be fun. Guys like maybe Mabel and Yoko have a standoff. I know that they... I know. But at the same time, it's a visual spectacle and what have you. All in all, it may seem a little obvious... Okay, But the way I booked this bad boy Is, uh, you know, everybody gets eliminated Uh, Maybe Shawn Michaels Gets a sweet chin music Yeah, let's do this We got the final four We got Undertaker, Yoko, HBK And Savage Savage tussling with Yokozuna Maybe Yoko tosses him Savage rolls, stands right up Shawn Michaels, Savage stands up near the rope Savage, or uh, Sean With a wicked quick, because I'm from Boston now Sweet chin music And Savage, you know Falls over the, or swings over the top rope. Shawn Michaels all excited, dances, poses. What now? I just kick your teeth down your throat, Jack. You know all that shit. Uh, uh, real heel. Shawn Michaels turns around, and the Undertaker and Yokozuna are just kind of looking at him, like he's a nothing little tiny guy, and maybe siphoning some of the heat off of Shawn. But perhaps they—I don't want to say they get him together. Maybe Taker goes over and just hits him with a clothesline. The idea being that Taker wants Yokozuna all for himself. Taker and Yoko face off. Undertaker gives him the old, that's my belt symbol, signaling to his waist that he wants to be... Or I guess it would be Gorilla and Bobby. He wants to be the champ, Monsoon! I think he certainly does, brain! What? I can't hear you! I can't hear you, Monsoon! That whole bag. And, uh, you know, I, I would imagine, because it's a battle royal situation... Under and it is a uh, a babyface-led promotion being the WWF, Taker could eliminate Yoko and set up their legendary casket match at the Royal Rumble of 1994, and Taker wins the first and only question mark? I don't know. Perhaps we should revisit Earth Battle Bowl sometime in the future. But as it stands, he's the winner of the WWF's only Battle Bowl Jim Ross, thank you for helping me pick the Lethal Lottery combatants. It looks like The Undertaker is victorious in a legal nature of the battle ball scenario. Oh, Jack, I understand a fucking words you just said. Vince, I quit. I quit. You hear me, you son of a bitch? You win. JR just throws down the cans and leaves. Nah, that probably doesn't really happen. But it's fun to imagine, nonetheless, as we hypothesize that would be the only reason to get uh, Jim out there with Jack. And so the scene would end on Battle Bowl, and Earth would continue to move for Earth Battle Bowl, that is, I guess, would move forward towards familiar scenarios, uh, and a WrestleMania 10 and a Royal Rumble that would, I don't know, include God knows what. That's not part of the assignment. However, I will say this, in a unique move here, because I like to just sort of Record and do shows of a nature of whatever the fuck I want to do, which of which of course you know sounds dickish and I don't mean it to. But hear me out. I'm on Twitter at the Johnny C J O N N I E S E A. If for some reason you find yourself interested in this Earth, this Earth Battle Bowl, perhaps we could continue the journey forward and do the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania as well. I gotta say, I have to admit, I'm sort of. Now, I don't want to say fallen for this Earth, but at the same time, I find it interesting. You know, because of, of different people that have gotten to push through Battle Bowl. I don't know. Maybe, we w- maybe it wouldn't be interesting to do, but I'd be willing to consider it if there was fan interest. But, folks, I do think that is going to put a closure on the 1993 version of Battle Bowl. And I already feel myself warping back to Earth Prime, where I'm just a looser with no tan, ...that needs to work out... ...and not the booker of the World Wrestling Federation. However, you want to talk about booking. The North South Connection Podcast Network... ...has booked their podcast feed to be evergreen. You can go back and find a show... ...that speaks to your era of fandom... ...and you can embrace that show... ...through a large back catalog... ...and then pound that shit and listen to it... ...until your ears are bleeding... ...and the new episodes drop. Whether it be New Gen on a Mission... Who cover Brett vs. Sean in ninety-two to Brett vs. Sean in ninety-seven, also known as the greatest night in the history of our sport. When that Bret Hitman Hart gets a taste of his own medicine and learns that he's not in charge, I'm in charge. We uh we mentioned, I believe, did we talk about the wrestling war zone earlier? I think we did. Let's talk about the wrestler that Woo! The wrestler that was, because latest episode from Aaron covers Ric Flair. I haven't listened to it yet, don't hate, but it's Rick fucking Flair, and it's Aaron fucking George. How could it not be good? Extreme Three-Way Dance just danced with the first ever Extreme Championship Wrestling pay-per-view. And you know what? Encouraged by that episode dropping, I started to watch the first ever ECW pay-per-view. I felt so bad for them with the microphone shenanigans at the at the top of the show, but I will say it was a very interesting watch, given the fact that I'd never been exposed to it, except for what I saw in Beyond the Mat. So, watch the uh, pay-per-view, and then, if you're not already, start listening to ECW's Extreme Three-Way Dance, which is on Thursdays, and rotates with the Wrestling War Zone. Friday night, or Friday, it did not have to be Friday night, but I suppose if you've got nothing else going on, Check out our modern content, because Friday is the day that talks to the modern wrestling fan, whether it be Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0, featuring Ryan Gray, formerly of WCW Must Die, some of his best work ever in the podcasting realm, if I say so myself, but he and a uh, a, a panel, a larger panel, if you will, are really tackling issues with the World Wrestling Federation, some of the independents as well. And things are really starting to heat up with the, because it's it's recently been announced that the flying Pikachu himself, the Maverick, yeah, Hunter. What's that movie that made so much money this year? Top Gun? No, no, no. Oh, Maverick. Yeah, let's call him the Maverick. Oh, he's not even there anymore. But yeah, Logan Paul, the Maverick, obviously just stealing his nickname from Top Gun. But uh, he's set to do battle with uh, the tribal chief here in uh, WWF Blood Money or whatever the fuck it's called. So, uh, stay tuned for that. I honestly can't wait to hear Ryan's thoughts. And of course, if you're more interested in the other company that's constantly in a state of of upheaval and disarray, check out, you know what that means, an AEW podcast, which rotates with that. And I will say, I will say this, as a person who's not into AEW, because I honestly feel like it's so hard to figure out who's who in terms of... I will say, maybe I'll say this about AEW. They need to do a better job on their product of clearly defining who is mid-card, low-card, high-tier main event. Because I'll watch a show, and, and somebody will show up backstage, and the crowd will go apeshit. Which I guess is a good thing, but I'm kind of like, wait, who are these people? I've never heard of them. I don't know who they are. Am I, are they supposed to be a threat to a guy like Punk? Uh, but, you know, honestly, I think CM Punk is the greatest threat himself kind of a kind of revealed himself to be a legendary piece oh shit kind of maybe maybe not but you know what i'm gonna get out of here because that's not my job my job is to make you feel horny for these little tidbits of information that you can get from the north south connection podcast network and i don't know about you but i'm feeling a little randy so i gotta get out of here because i've got shit to do remember folks subscribe Leave a review for everything in a North-South Connection podcast network. If you're feeling froggy, uh, hop over to the Aqua Cave and maybe do the same. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. We'll see you next time in the multiverse of fabulousness.